As we gather around today's scripture passage um, in our worship bulletin, you'll see the stained glass window. This is coming from the library stained glass windows. There are, there's stained glass in every corner of this church, upstairs, downstairs, this way, that way. If you were to take time to think about and reflect on all the little smaller pictures within our stained glass windows, you could, you could be working on this project for one year, two years, three years. Um, we have so such a rich, deep um, attentiveness to God's story in our midst and the way that it is um, told in our stained glass windows is really beautiful. So this is the astronomy window. Um, and it's just a reminder that this is a church that um, wonders about this world, wonders about our place in the world, um, looks to the skies, um, and thinks about um, who God is in relationship to our place in the world. Um, and so our scripture passage um, meets us there. It meets us in that question of what does it mean to be human um, and who is the God that meets us in this world? Please, please pray with me. Holy God, um, be in our hearts and minds and inspire this scripture passage um, within us. Spark something new in us and help us to see you in a new way today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So here now from Genesis chapter 2, this is the very tail end of the first creation story in the book of Genesis. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that God had done, and God rested on the seventh day from all the work that God had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it, God rested from all the work that God had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. May God bless this hearing of God's holy word. This past month, two journalists visited Argonne National Laboratory. Argonne, if you are familiar with it, was originally founded by Enrico Fermi. He was working on the nuclear reactors as part of the University of Chicago's Manhattan Project back in the 1940s. It's right here in Chicago's backyard, so to speak, and it is a powerhouse of scientific exploration. It's one of its kind in the Midwest, and these days, Argonne Laboratory works on non-weaponized technology using a supercomputer called Mira that has the computational power, get this, to do in one day what your brand new, straight from the box, fastest home computer that you could buy could only dream of doing in 20 years. Mira has worked on projects as life-changing as finding the molecular cure for Parkinson's and as earth-shattering as figuring out how to turn windows and the windows of our homes and our cars into energy-generating energy solar panels. Imagine that if the very windows of our car were, were generating power. So Argonne is this hub for some of the leading scientific inquiry of the day. But really what got me thinking was this offhand comment, an unscripted question that the journalist asked during the interview. She said, what if 
you could use Mira, your supercomputer, to work on the problem of sleep. What if humans didn't have to sleep ever again, she asked. Could Mira work on that project? Now, the scientist laughed it off as just a silly question, but the other journalist jumped in and objected entirely. No, life without sleep? It wouldn't be worth living. It really is an absurd thought, but it gets to the heart of things. What if a scientist could figure out the mystery of sleep, isolate why we need it, why we can't live without it, and how to get around needing to take a rest? What if scientists figured that out and offered you a pill or a shot or an implant, something that would make you never need to sleep again? Would you say yes? What would life be like without rest? Sometimes people put it this way, you're not a human being, you're a human being, you're not a human doing, right? You've heard that. Just take a rest, slow down. But in reality, we all know that there are times when sleep has gotten in the way. Final exams creep in a little too fast, or the deadline at work looms ominously, or housework piles up and the to-do list gets too long. Rest hampers productivity. It gets in the way of your efficiency, your ability to get the work done. And so today's scripture passage scratches at that human question of work and rest. Maybe you're familiar with the rhythm of this text. You've read it. It's that first text at the beginning of scripture when I was in second grade. I remember vowing that I was going to read the whole Bible front to back and started out with Genesis 1. I've done that a lot of times, started there with Genesis 1. So we know this text. It, it says, and God said, and God said, and God said. God speaks creation into existence, and then God affirms it. And it was good, and it was good, and it was good. I love that sense, those first words, in the beginning, God. That's all we need for our faith, isn't it? In the beginning, God. And it goes on, it, there was evening, there was morning, the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. There's a purposeful poetry to this text. You can hear the rhythm of it, like a song, how it, how it would have been spoken aloud, and its cadence allowed the congregation to jump in and join in the predictable, repeated, patterned pieces of the story. For those of you who have studied poetry, you know how to look between the lines, too, watching for the symmetry or the balance or the way that words play off each other. So listen to these little tidbits about how this story has embedded within it the number seven, our number for the day. So this, this was... Uh, a text that was written by people who found meaning in the number seven. The number seven held this sense of completeness, of perfection. So here's how the poem circles and circles and circles around the number seven. There's the obvious, right? The seven days, that rhythm of six days of creation, one day of rest. But then that first verse in Hebrew has seven words, and the second verse in Hebrew has 14 words, two times seven. The word earth is mentioned seven times. The name of God is mentioned 35 times, or 
five times seven. The heavens or the firmament is mentioned 21 times or three times seven. The phrase, it was good, is repeated seven times. It goes on like that. This tangled web, this pattern of sevens woven into this text, a litany of seven that you hear when you take time to slow down and look between the lines. Even the word Sabbath is rooted in this Hebrew word that means seven. The number seven in this ancient context means completion, perfection. Without the seventh day, creation is incomplete. Without rest, the world is unfinished, fragmented. In that context, imagine what it would be like if the supercomputer Mira figured out how to have us live without rest. We would be perpetually fragmented. The significance of seven isn't limited either to seven days of creation. In the New Testament, you get the number seven 88 times, most notably in the book of Revelation, that has seven spirits, seven lampstands, seven stars, seven horns, seven eyes, seven seals, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven crowns, seven dragons. That sounds intriguing. Seven angels, seven plagues, seven bowls of wrath. Sounds terrible, an evocative turn of phrase. Seven hills, seven kings. In the book of Acts, there are seven deacons. In Romans, there are seven afflictions and seven gifts and seven affirmations. In Second Peter, there are seven virtues. In Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, there are seven petitions to God. In Mark, seven loaves of bread feed 4,000 people. And afterwards, there are seven baskets full of bread left over. In the Old Testament, I really, I really love these pieces. Every seventh year, it's your duty to set your slaves free. Imagine what the history of the United States would look like if we had tended to this Old Testament uh, uh, commandment, right? Every seventh year, you must also forgive all debt owed to you. Imagine our economy if every seventh year were like that, every debt were forgiven. You are a college student, you take out college loans, and by seven years, all debts are forgiven. Even farmers have to give the earth a break, give the earth a Sabbath every seven years. It's forbidden to sow or reap or do any farm work in the seventh year. Ancient Jewish festivals, many of them lasted seven days. The menorah had seven, has seven candles. There are seven days of creation, but did you know that Noah was asked to bring not just the animals two by two, but seven pairs of every clean animal onto the ark. There are seven years of plenty, seven years of famine in Pharaoh's famous dream. King David had seven brothers, and so on and so forth. In Judaism, you sit Shiva for seven days, seven days of mourning. On the Sabbath, the Torah is divided into seven parts. At a wedding, there are seven blessings under the wedding canopy. In Islam, on the seventh day, a baby undergoes a special naming ceremony. And when you go to Mecca for the Hajj, you circumambulate the, Ka the Kaaba seven times. In the Baha'i faith, there's this beautiful philosophical writing that calls out, that's called the Seven Valleys. 
that outlines the journey that a person might take to seek enlightenment and God. You go through the valley of search and the valley of love and the valley of knowledge and the valley, valley of unity and contentment and wonderment, and you end up in the seventh valley in the Baha'i faith in the valley of absolute nothingness. In Hinduism, there are seven sacred pilgrimage, pilgrimage cities where God's incarnations are believed to have descended. There are seven stars in the Big Dipper and seven celestial objects visible to the naked eye. And that's not just planets, but it's the sun and the moon, Mars, Mercury, Jupiter, Venus, Saturn, that we can see with the naked eye. And consequently, those seven days, our seven days of the week, are named after those seven sky-wandering orbs. There's a sense of completeness to the number seven. Our seven seas, seven continents, seven colors in the rainbow, seven wonders of the ancient world, seven notes in the diatonic scale, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. You go back to do again. I love this wisdom from Lisa Bond this week about the seventh note in the scale called a leading tone. She said it's the, no the note that leads you home. The seventh is the note that leads you home. So, dun, 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 dun done it just wants you to hit that you know just wants you to go home right that seventh note you can't help but just head home with it 711 seven up seven up 007 snow white and the seven dwarves did you know that in spain cats have seven lives not nine it's the most popular favorite number. And if there are studies that show that if I asked you to pick a number between one and 10, most of you would pick seven. But here's what I go back to. Seven is this number that means completion. Without the seventh day, the creation would remain unfinished. And yet, God does the most radical thing on the seventh day. God stops. God rests. God takes a break. God does nothing. When we undergo a big project, when a new skyscraper is built in downtown Chicago, it's finished as soon as the construction is done. When your big year-end project is over, it's finished as soon as you hit print. In our human world, when the work is done, the work is done. But with God, the work is not finished until there has been a day of rest. One person put it this way, it's not as if God rested on the first day so that God would have enough energy to make it through six days of creation. No, God had all the energy God needed. God did the work. God did everything that was needed to make it happen, but in the end, God rested. It's a different way of thinking about it. God rested for no other reason than just to rest. You are a human being, not a human doing. Your worth is not wrapped up in what you do, but in who you are, in whose you are. And the same is true for God. God is not just a mover and a shaker, the busy bee who in six poetically beautiful days gives us light and water and land and companions. God makes rest holy. And that deepens not just our own identity about who we are, but tells us something about who God is. 
God's revelation to us in this day of rest is that God is bigger than God's accomplishments, that God is bigger than what we might expect God to be doing. How would our expectations of our spiritual lives shift if we prayed to God with this idea of rest at the core? I always wonder what might take me beyond that Santa Claus God, right? That little G God where my only way of relating to God is, is sending up requests of things for God to do. Maybe God who rests pushes us to rest differently in God's love. We are people who are always seeking Sabbath, right? We know when we've missed it. We know what it feels like to work and work and work and work and work for days on end without rest in sight. We know that tug, that yearning for rest and renewal. We know at our core that we are human beings, not human doings. But there's something to this journalist's question, right? Can your supercomputer please work on making it so that we don't have to rest? It's absurd and inadvisable at best, but it tells us something about ourselves, right? That we don't rest. That we are people who should be confessing that we don't, we don't do this very well. I've, I know we work hard, we play hard, we don't join in the completeness that is God's seventh day. We're stubborn. We would rather put our worth in not in God's vision of ourselves, but in our productivity or our efficiency or the latest numbers. We're addicted to that drive, that next cup of coffee, that feeling of having completed something. I'm preaching to myself here as much as I am to you, right? This is a, this is a cultural problem. Sleepless productivity is not the kind of completeness that the number seven points to. I, I came across this Instagram account a couple weeks ago. It's called The Nap Ministry. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, their tagline is this. We examine the liberating power of naps. We believe that rest is a form of resistance. And we install napping experiences. They literally host nap-ins. Come nap with us, they say. They create safe places with nice, comfy places for people to rest. Their leader calls herself the nap bishop. She's a guide who makes space for napping. And she claims that being overworked is truly a global issue. She points out that 35% of the population sleep less than seven hours a night. Um, and the CDC even calls that a public health crisis. Sleep deprivation can lead to diabetes or heart disease, high blood pressure, and the Knapp Bishop says that this disproportionately affects marginalized people, people who have to string together two or three part-time jobs without a regular Sabbath time with no paid time off. And we can kind of see that in the origins of our Sabbath story. Our rhythm of six days of work and one day of rest is linked directly to that Exodus story where the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt and sought freedom. They worked day after day after day after day, seven days a week with no end in sight. Their work was literally tied to how many bricks they could make. And it wasn't them who was saying, I want my identity tied to, to how many bricks I can make. It was coming down from above, right? Their value came from their productivity. 
they had pl- and they had plenty of time to think about who God might be in this context, and they experienced God as a God who rests, as a God who valued rest, who was valued not just for some divine productivity, but for the very act of being. So, for me, this says God rests, and so we can rest. God rests, and so we should rest. God rests, and God calls us all to rest and to help one another hear that call to rest, to get together and make sure that we're resting. God desires that we rest, and in fact, God commands us to do so, to rest. May it be so for all of us. Now, even, now let us, even for a moment, take, a, take some time to rest in God here in this place so that we might practice and prepare for that weekly rhythm of resting in God. God bless this time of silent meditation. Amen.